we have up next panel number three, which is human development and defying the odds. Before I turn it over to our moderator today, Dr. Richard Cash, I'm just going to give a quick um, update on his biography. Dr. Cash and his colleagues conducted the first clinical trials of oral rehydration therapy, or ORT, in adult and pediatric cholera patients and patients with other infectious causes of diarrhea at the Cholera Research Laboratory in Bangladesh. Other in-country studies included the first field trials and community-based trials of ORT and the use of amino acids as an additional substrate. He was the principal investigator of the Applied Diarrheal Disease Research Project, a program that assisted developing country scientists to hone their research skills by conducting their own research projects. Over 150 studies involving more than 350 investigators were funded in 12 countries in Africa, Asia, and Latin America, leading to over 275 publications. Research priorities included behavioral studies of caretakers and providers, foods and fluids, prevention of diarrhea, persistent diarrhea, and acute respiratory infection and nutrition. Dr. Cash also directed a program in research ethics that focused on training for fellows from Asia and research ethics workshops at HSPH and in 12 countries. He is the senior editor of Casebook on Ethical Issues in International Health Research, a WHO publication. Dr. Cash, I'd like to turn it over to you. Thanks so much for moderating today. Well, thank you very much. That was a very kind introduction. Uh, and uh, it's a pleasure, really a pleasure to be here. Uh, I've been, uh, as uh, Chelsea has mentioned, I've been connected with Bangladesh now for 53 years. Uh, uh, and was there, of course, during the time that uh, Ayub fell and then when the cyclone uh, left just before the cyclone and returned shortly within a month after uh, the liberation of the country. So this is a, and have maintained a, a long history with the country coming back every year or two, uh, every year actually since that time. So it's a great pleasure to be back and to participate in this uh, wonderful uh, symposium. Uh, what I'd like to do is to uh, uh, briefly introduce the panel. Uh, and then uh, we've uh, set up a few questions and uh, I've uh, asked each of the participants, uh, three of them, to uh, give up to 10 minutes uh, discourse on their concept of human development. Uh, I will then uh, uh, address a few other questions to them and then we'll open the floor up for uh, discussion. So I hope that meets with all of your uh, uh, expectations. Uh, so the panel uh, consists of Dr. Wahuddin uh, Mahmoud, who is uh, a, uh, a retired professor of economics at uh, uh, the University of Dhaka. Uh, he's authored and co-authored uh, numerous books. I'm not going to uh, name them, but he has led the economic advisory panels for four successive five-year plans and the perspective uh, plan of the government of Bangladesh. He has his PhD from Cambridge University. Our second participant is Dr. Imran Mateen, who is the executive director of the BRAC Institute of Governance and Development and a research, which is a research and postgraduate uh, educational institution at BRAC University. 
it generates a number of high quality evidence and insights based on field research. Uh, prior to his current role, uh, uh, Imran was uh, uh, worked with Save the Children uh, uh, and inter International and Innovations for Poverty uh, Action. He holds a PhD in economics from the University of Sussex in the UK. And our final participant is uh, uh, Kamrul Islam, who began his uh, career in the health services in Bangladesh, serving in the directorate of the Health Planning Commission. He served in leadership and managerial positions nationally and internationally in Bangladesh and Africa, and has recently assumed the role of the regional uh, director of South Asia of Water Aid after 11 years of serving uh, as the country representative. He's contributed uh, to the formation of the national health policy and national population policy of Bangladesh as a member of the drafting committee and is one of the organizers of the uh, upcoming publication on the health sector, uh, which marks 50 years of, of independence. Now, uh, some of the questions that we have uh, opposed, uh, proposed to the uh, panel are as follows. Uh, Bangladesh has done well on key development indicators. Which ones do you think are the most significant and uh, which indicators has the progress been less good? Uh, what factors do you think have contributed to human development miracle in health and education particularly? And what are the challenges and opportunities that lie ahead? So I'm going to uh, get off the stage here and turn it over to our learned uh, panelists. Uh, Wahideen, would you uh, like to start out, please? Thank you. And try to keep your remarks to 10 minutes or less. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. Uh, remind me when it's 10 minutes. I shouldn't want to exceed. Good morning and good evening. Um, we know that Bangladesh has performed unexpectedly well in achieving economic growth. Uh, its per capita GDP growth has been way ahead of the average of developing countries uh, uh, since 1990s. But uh, improvements in social development indicators since 1990s was even more remarkable, particularly in infant and child mortality rate uh, uh, reduction, reducing fertility rate, female school enrollment, uh, with female advantage across all income groups in secondary and primary education. And cross-section uh, country studies show that in all these indicators, Bangladesh was a laggard. From laggard, it has become a leader. And uh, uh, it is true of also of the uh, contributing factors like uh, contraceptive adoption, child immunization, oral saline adoption for diarrhea treatment, female employment, all these are uh, uh, underlying contributing factors. In all these, Bangladesh was a laggard and has become a leader. There, there are two remarkable things about this achievement. First is that uh, the uh, Bangladesh achieved this in spite of very low spending, social, public social spending on health and education, both in per capita terms and in terms of percent of GDP. Second, Bangladesh's gains have, have been there in spite of very poor governance in 
uh, in uh, uh, public service delivery, both in, uh, in, in terms of absentees of teachers, absentees of uh, doctors in school education. Uh, then uh, uh, that's, that's what's called Bangladesh's development surprise. But I myself, having been alleged to have coined this term uh, Bangladesh surprise, I have to admit that I feel now a bit uh, uh, somewhat, my enthusiasm is a bit uh, muted. Uh, that's because uh, uh, we were slow to detect Bangladesh's uh, achievements when these were happening. At the same time, we are also slow in detecting that some of the progress achievements in indicators are now a bit stagnant or even reversing during uh, since 2013. But I'm sure that we shall we shall have uh, strategies to compensate that. About the contributing factors, how Bangladesh did that. Uh, at such uh, low uh, public spending and uh, uh, poor governance of service delivery. Uh, one is uh, well known that we, we, we took the advantage of low cost solutions with effective social campaigns in terms of, in respect of oral saline uh, for diarrhea treatment, child immunization, social marketing of contraceptives. Uh, there is there the, the spread of these ideas was easy because of lack of remoteness in Bangladesh, which is uh, because of um, uh, density of population and also extensive rural networks and involvement of NGOs helped a lot. And uh, lastly, but not least, willingness of Bangladeshis, even poor people, to adopt affordable new ideas whenever those are given to them. I mean, it, 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 it was shown in when the, even the poor farmers adopted HIV rice cultivation earlier than richer farmers. Uh, of course, some government uh, interventions worked well. Girls' stipend program is, is known as one of the vanguard of um, uh, transconditional cash transfer. Uh, then um, emphasis, government's emphasis on early emphasis on population control and rural lower network. If you, if you ask me, you, you asked me one of the question was, what uh, was the best achievement and where Bangladesh is lagging? Uh, the answer to that, I will say that, uh, you see, the, 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 it's very difficult to identify a single uh, 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 most uh, successful achievement because all these um, uh, indicators, they're part of a social transformation where there were unanticipated synergies. Say, for example, door-to-door -door family planning services helped, uh, of course, help unmet demand for uh, for contraceptives. But it has a it had a byproduct of um, um, catalyst as a catalyst for middle class professional family planning workers coming out of home. That led to very rapid female employment outside home, and then the NGOs and MFIs 
gave a platform for the women to uh, be, get together and there was reduced uh, there was uh, uh, contraceptive adoption and reduced fertility along with that the uh, the uh, child mortality reduction was helped by the uh, as i said immunization program and oral saline and all this this social transmission helped parental attitude uh, towards uh, investing in children's education and family having all that the challenge is that we uh, these were low hanging fruits and all these were successful social campaigns which in a way uh, bypassed the government's main health infrastructure which is ridden with dysfunctional um, dysfunctional governance system quality of education is remains a problem uh, so uh, the 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 challenge would be now uh, how to uh, the, the further progress in any of these indicators will require more social spending. Uh, and uh, uh, because uh, if you want to reduce uh, maternal mortality, all child mortality more, you will need more interventions, hospital-based interventions, which will require more uh, costly interventions and better health service. And also in education, if you cannot improve the quality of education, school enrollment is there, but unless there is quality of education, which keeps employable uh, uh, skills, then there will be a problem of uh, dropouts, which already, already dropouts are increasing in schools. And the main problem is that Bangladesh has one of the lowest uh, 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 resource uh, revenue mobilization as a percentage of GDP in the region or even among all developing countries. So in, in the, you, you mentioned that I was uh, uh, involved in the preparation of the, the six, seven, eight, five-year plan. The, the, we had the um, difficulty in resource um, um, balancing. The, the gap was there when it was it was in terms of public financing of health and education unless we do that we may progress more in terms of um, health and education outcomes with uh, uh, increasing per capita income but that will mean that the proportion of out of pocket expenditure on health will be increasing which has been increasing over time and the outcome will be far less unequal than it has been now. Bangladesh has been blessed with not only having these achievements so far, but also that these achievements have been quite equitable. That's because the interventions were at the level of even poor families and using the agency of poor women uh, instead of uh, taking the agency of local governance and uh, local communities, which also has created one anomaly. I shall end by saying that the Bangladesh has done so much by using female agency and achieving in the social development outcomes, which are more, more to do with uh, females, girl education, contraceptive adoption and all that. In spite of that, there is the anomaly that Bangladesh has done so badly in some of the community-based 
welfare indicators like uh, uh, age at marriage, violence against women, dowry, and all that. That's because the way we have achieved all this, not through the agency of the uh, community, which uh, Kerala did, but through the agency of interventions at the individual level of individual poor households. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. That was a, a lovely uh, a summary and uh, we have much to build on. Imran, let me turn to you and ask you for your comments. Great, thank you. Um, it's always very difficult after uh, uh, Wadi Mahmoud sir because, uh, because of his comprehensive treatment. Um, I'm going to focus on, on education, which obviously uh, is, a, is a key area of human development and human capital formation. Um, uh, I'll, I'll try and talk more about the human capital formation aspect of, uh, of, of education rather than the more philosophical and uh, citizenry based uh, understanding of education, which is of course critical as well. And, and I hope we can get to some of those interconnections uh, later in the, in the discussion. Um, now, uh, I mean, sort of, we all know that in terms of enrollment and in terms of, uh, in terms of even retention, I think uh, uh, we have done uh, quite well. Uh, I think the gender uh, dimension of these strides that Bangladesh has made is of particular uh, importance to, to really understand and unpack better. Uh, I think the gender uh, equality that we have achieved even in enrollment in primary and secondary, uh, I think needs uh, more analytical unpacking than we have, uh, we have done until, until now. Uh, but we have done really good in that, in that aspect. Even in terms of retention, uh, we're still, um, uh, uh, you know, we, the progress has been there. It's stalling a bit, but I think there's been really good progress. And I think the female secondary stipend program uh, has, been, uh, has been a big contributor with respect to uh, 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 the, uh, uh, you know, the sort of closing the gender gap in terms of, in terms of retention uh, uh, in, in particular. Uh, however, uh, uh, it, is, it is, I mean, this is also very well known that uh, our, our, uh, our learning to grade completion curve is extremely flat. Uh, so irrespective of uh, uh, your grade uh, uh, progression, your level of learning that you basically have in terms of your literacy, numeracy, in whatever way you choose to uh, measure, the, measure those are fairly flat. So every incremental uh, grade completion doesn't really uh, uh, lead to much learning outcome. What that basically means is that return to education is also uh, sort of quite low, uh, which in turn, uh, you know, kind of, I think, uh, 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 creates, uh, I think, uh, disincentives also for uh, retention. Uh, sort of as well. So there is a kind of a trap there in terms of low quality of education, low return to education, leading to greater demand for continuation, especially at higher, higher levels. Uh, uh, that's exactly where uh, some of the vulnerabilities around child marriage starts creeping in uh, and sort of other forms of, uh, you know, not so, not so productive engagement starts sort of creeping in. So, uh, creeping in. so quality of education is, is sort of clearly, clearly uh, a critical area. Uh, that we need to work on. Now, uh, just to uh, give you one statistics, uh, a, a recent, um, a recent uh, UNESCO uh, uh, a report basically says that around 58% uh, uh, of 10-year-olds were found incapable of reading or understanding a simple text by the end of their primary school. 
so this is and 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 there's 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 lot more lot more statistics uh, in this in this in this regard. So uh, why this is the case? I'll just uh, you know uh, and and why this is so difficult. And I think this is primarily difficult uh, not because we do not know what works, not because we do not know what does not work, but because the politics of learning and the governance of learning is very very challenging. The politics of expanding schools the politics of uh, 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 construction, the politics of recruitment of teachers, uh, 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 providing books, all of those are, are more visible and, and creates all kinds of uh, opportunities uh, for uh, rent seeking, um, uh, and uh, which, which basically uh, uh, sort of means, uh, you know, you don't have to deal with the crux of some of the governance challenges with respect to performance and accountability. Uh, so that lies at the heart of why quality of education improvement uh, is 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 of sort of particular challenge. Um, uh, what is also interesting is uh, some of the uh, 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 local uh, governance mechanism at the local level, which is school management committees we have in the primary and the secondary level. These seem to be fairly functional. However, their impact in terms of holding teachers to account is not particularly strong. So they are quite active in, in many, many ways uh, uh, because these are very important forum with respect to uh, political control. These are very important forum with respect to political rent seeking and other types of rent seeking of all types. Uh, so they function, uh, they are active, uh, yet uh, they do not, they fail to exert any kind of pressure on teachers' accountability, and ultimately learning. So, so I think this is the biggest uh, uh, sort of challenge, and, and, and perhaps in some of the conversation later, we can basically come to it. Now, in terms of interventions that work with respect to quality of education, I think that is also fairly well known. I mean, we know that uh, providing learning books don't really help learning. They're important. They don't help learning. Uh, 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 increasing teachers' salary uh, uh, is important. Uh, but it does not improve learning. Um, uh, so, you, know, uh, 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 you know, setting up uh, school toilets are very important. They do not have any impact on learning. What works in terms of learning is ultimately holding, you know, training teachers and holding teachers to account. Uh, we know that teaching at right level, this is a, a very, uh, you know, kind of a very evidence, uh, there's large scale evidence with respect to teaching at right level, teaching students at the right level works. And, and, and I, think, uh, I, think, I think we need to really uh, focus on some of these interventions, but I think it's sort of primarily a political economy and a politics challenge. Uh, that 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 we need to have serious conversation on at the national level, and I think uh, some of the possibilities are there uh, now. Whether we turn them into actual, uh, uh, you know, realize them or not, is sort of another whole question. And we whether we can create a national consensus and momentum around it. But I think some of the uh, some of the basic political conditions may actually be there, and and I think we may want to come to this con is the conversation sort of later. The second area is in terms of the higher education beyond primary and secondary is that these, uh, these higher education uh, are, I think this has been talked about before, many of these higher education degrees uh, are, you know, where the employable, employability skills are not really uh, focused on. Um, especially, I think this is of particular importance in terms of relatively lower return higher education degrees, which may be important for other uh, reasons, 
but I think employability skills are of particular importance for those type of lower return higher education programs. Um, and, and, and of course, we need to think of other associational degrees such as around professional degrees uh, 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 as attractive choices and alternatives to, to, higher, to higher education. Unless uh, we address these, what we end up with is this, what we call NEAT, which is not in employment, education or training. Now this is growing. Uh, uh, 15 to 30 year old NEAT right now, according to the latest figure, is 30%. And 50% uh, uh, of women are in NEAT. 8% of men are in, are in need. So there's a big gender disparity in need as well. So one of the way we approach the need challenge is by addressing higher education challenge head on uh, with a focus on employability skills, in, you know, embedding employability skills and also making other association, associational degrees equally attractive by incentivizing them, by making them attractive uh, you know, for uh, sort of alternatives. So that's with respect to higher education. Uh, finally, I just want to also talk very quickly about the looming digital divide, and I think this is this is absolutely clear, uh, uh, with uh, especially uh, on the uh, sort of during the during the COVID crisis. And I think I think this is this is something we need to pay great attention. Education as a as a great equalizer uh, with the looming digital divide uh, on access with respect to access and effective usage uh, uh, is is increasingly becoming and can really become. Uh, uh, a great divider in terms of our society. And that's something we need to pay attention to. I'll stop here, thanks. Thank you very much, Imran. Uh, lastly, let me turn to Kairul Islam uh, and ask you, sir, to uh, uh, comment on the uh, issue of uh, human development, especially in the health sector. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. Uh, I'll be using two terms. One is miracle, which happened in the health sector in human development. The other is paradox. Uh, we have been discussing about the miraculous part for quite a long time in a self-satisfying way, but we haven't been discussing about paradox in that critically until the COVID actually surfaced out many of those lacunas. But when we look back uh, almost 50 years down the memory lane, we also must actually uh, highlight a few issues related to miracle and how it happened. Uh, when the life expectancy at birth was added in the Human Development Index, uh, that was one of the main indicators that about which we, we, we feel proud of that in 1971, we started with 46.5 years, which was two years uh, below India figure and probably almost six to seven years below Pakistan figure. And after 50 years, we are almost two years ahead of India and more than five years ahead of Pakistan. And Professor Wahiduddin Mahmoud have already mentioned about number of things uh, where we have done well. But usually, I mean, we do not cite a few examples which are covered in primary health care. One is the essential drugs that in 1982, because of the drug policy right now, we have got $2 billion uh, pharmaceutical industry, which is also exporting medicine in a number of countries, 
and the country could enjoy reasonable priced medicine for the last uh, uh, 40 years or so. And the other is the tremendous improvement in water sanitation and hygiene, which ultimately contributed uh, in a way in, in child mortality by reducing diarrhea in a number of ways. The contributing factor that I would like to highlight is our independence. In 2013, when the Lancet series on Bangladesh got published, during that analytical period, we realized that the war of independence and independence itself had tremendous effect on shaping and forming the health sector in Bangladesh. And just to give a few realistic examples, in 1971, right after uh, liberation of the country, when we had to deal 300,000 plus raped cases, we had to waive the ban on abortion. And that led to Bangladesh, one of the first Muslim country to liberalize, and in the name of menstrual regulation, number of improvement in the family planning program we have started seeing. In the same manner, if you recall, uh, you yourself was one of the discoverer of oral rehydration salt. In 1971, in the refugee camp, when it was massively used during those cholera epidemic, and right after that, during in, in the Bangladesh, how BRAC popularized it, and till now, almost 50 million children all over the world were saved just by the simple solution of ORS. If we recall during those war days, the makeshift hospital, the way it was resourced by common people, students, uh, nurses, its impact actually carried forward in the health system in terms of how we resourced our frontline health workers who ultimately worked in, in the field of family planning. He worked in promoting expanded program on immunization and, and you name all those public health intervention about which we are feeling proud of. And that ultimately led to 1978 Alma conference and declaration on primary healthcare, where this kind of primary healthcare issues, which is actually direct offset of I mean, output of the liberation war actually contributed in norming and forming our health system. The number of wounded freedom fighter actually led to formation of institution like, you know, this what we call Pongo Hospital, CRP and, and things like that. The other important factor I see as resilience of people. If we recall the life saved and the way we managed number of natural disaster in Bangladesh and the way it progressed is mainly the resilience of people and the public health professionals of the front line who actually contributed in saving those lives immediately after those disaster and disaster management in Bangladesh has become a role model in the other part of the world. So the impact of the independence war and this resilience of people, I find are two direct contributors in forming and shaping Bangladesh's health system. But the, the point where I see the paradox comes is pluralism in the health sector. Because from the beginning, we allowed so many sectors to grow 
so many private sectors to flourish, so many unregulated vendors of medicine to spread all over the country, those might have contributed in saving lives. But after a number of years, we have started feeling that unregulated pluralistic health system ought to cause certain hegemony, which we have seen during this COVID period. That 250,000 vendors of medicine were open when most of the public health system and private health system were not offering services, but simultaneously, the way they sell antibiotics, the way they misuse some of the things, the way they prompted poor people to spend disproportionately of their income behind quality of care per episode of treatment cost is getting increased and increased. And th this is one of the reasons what where we see that out-of-pocket expenditure in this country is increasing exponentially. Few years ago, it was in and around two thirds of the out of, I mean, of the total expenditure. Now, in 2020, it has gone up to 74% more than Pakistan and India and all other neighboring countries. So, how we manage those, that's something that I find as a paradox and that needs to be managed by regulating those pluralistic health systems. Let me stop here, and if I get time, probably during question and answer, I will reflect more on some of these issues. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, I think all of you have uh, uh, certainly stuck to time, and also you've raised some interesting questions. Let me uh, follow, uh, let me take a, a few minutes to uh, 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 ask a few questions here, and then we'll open it up. You mentioned, uh, 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 Cairo, this, this notion that this privatization issue has come up. Uh, Imran, you talked about the quality of education. And uh, Wayudin, you also mentioned this, uh, this idea that we have, we have uh, uh, Bangladesh has managed to pick off the, the uh, low-lying fruit, as we say. Uh, but sometimes uh, uh, stresses on the system bring out the issues, and one of these, of course, has been the COVID, uh, uh, the COVID uh, pandemic. Uh, do you think that what has that exposed in terms of fault lines and also positive elements in terms of human development and what the Bangladesh may need in the future? And uh, uh, let me start with you, Kairul, since we started with Waidin in the beginning. What is, what is your observation on this? Try to keep you guys, your, your remarks, uh, not too long. <laughs> I won't set up. Okay. <laughs> uh, during COVID time, what we realized is that our curative service, which is the treatment facility, has become over the past few years or decades so much privatized that at this moment, twice the bed are in private sector, like 55,000 beds are in public sector and 110,000 plus are in the private sector. So when private sector was denied to offer services, there was a collapse and, and people were going door to door and hospitals were not expect, I mean, uh, were not admitting anyone. People, I mean, there are a number of pathetic incidences where, I mean, patient died within the ambulance. Now, 
what it really entails is that the difference between a public health system, meaning a health system run by the government, and the health system, which is a national health system, the policymakers who are sitting in the Ministry of Health, they consider the government-run health system is their lookout. The national health system, whose lookout, is not in their thinking paradigm. That's where the main dilemma is coming, and the paradox that I was referring to is coming out of that inadequate and lack of thinking. That so the, the national health system and government-run health system. Okay. They cannot encompass government and private, both together constitutes the overall national health system. That idea and comprehension is not present in the policymakers' mind, or maybe present, but not adequate enough to serve the people. Imran, what do you see, in, in, uh, certainly in educational or in other sectors? Uh, yeah, well, the stresses um, that were put up by this uh, this system, and and much, of course, of education is also privatized, as you uh, uh, yeah. as you know. Yeah. Uh, no, I think I think one of the one of the most uh, you know lasting uh, and the most difficult recovery that's that we're going to be facing is with respect to the human capital recovery. Uh, 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 you know, with respect to COVID, I think we are actually seeing um, quite uh, quite good recovery in, uh, in 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 sort of the overall economic sectors. Um, we have been, you know, lucky with respect to the you know sort of the you know, the health uh, uh, part of it, the infection part of it. Uh, but with respect to the education sector and the human capital recovery, I think this is going to be the most lasting impact, not the direct impact only. Of course, the you know the schools being closed, the direct impact of that, but it is the it is the uh, it, you know it it is the uh, pre-existing inequities that I think will get accentuated post-COVID in terms of learning catch-up, where those who were anyway deprived before are going to get far more deprived. So it is the knock-on indirect effect that is going to have a much larger, longer-term impact with 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 consequences for uh you know uh the deeper uh uh societal uh, uh um, inequities of opportunities uh so i think this is this is going to be you know actually the more lasting crisis uh, however i think uh, and, and i think you know why this happened we know you know there's existing inequality on top of it uh the schools were closed uh the digital access uh challenge was sort of just surfaced um, uh, in terms of widening that inequality further, uh, and especially, you know, not only the rich-poor divide, but also the gender divide with respect to the digital access divide. I think that is really, really, uh, you know, the sort of the, the intersectionality of, uh, of poverty and gender, I think, has a, is particularly biting with respect to the human capital uh, impact of COVID. I think the, you know, the opportunity here is, is that, I mean, usually any type of remedial, uh, you know, or corrective measures with respect to uh, the acknowledging the learning crisis is very difficult for any, uh, any government. Uh, you know, the idea of sort of, you know, holding teachers to account, the remedial education part, and so on and so forth. I think now because of COVID, you know, one could basically you know, say that, you know, a lot of these learning crisis challenges are because of COVID. And, and perhaps that gives us an opportunity 
to sort of have a different kind of political settlement of some sort to try and push forward uh, uh, towards you know that of this uh, 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 some uh, reform to be able to uh, reverse uh, some of these I think ex you know uh, accelerated inequalities that we may be seeing in the future. Thank you, Wahidin. Okay, uh, uh, in health, uh, just to continue with Kairul's point is. Uh, that our health system uh, evolved uh, into a class division, that the public health is for the poor and the private sector with some posh new, um, new uh, uh, hospitals for the rich. That this, this crisis has shown that that sort of privatization doesn't work. You have to have a strong, uh, decentralized, good public health system. Private health system, however good, is not a substitute for private health system. But um, having said that, have you noticed that in terms of rollout of vaccines, we are doing much better than others? Why? Because the entire thing is with the EPI, extended uh, immunization program. And they have been very efficient. They know the. They have the know-how already of how to uh, how to immunize the children. So that that is an advantage we have in education. Uh, what Imran was saying. I mean, it's so sad because our gains were. Look at our gains in the secondary education. The almost all the gains in the past fifteen years were uh, in the secondary education. Stud students from the uh, poorer households catching up with the uh, with those from the uh, richer households in secondary in in gender uh, gender um, um, division uh, it was in throughout uh, in in primary education as well as in secondary education the gender uh, advantage was there entirely over all social classes, from the poor to the rich. This is something very surprising. I, I should add here that one, one very strange phenomena is that uh, girls, um, female, if, uh, girls have had an advantage in schooling, whereas in inter-household food distribution, it's still the boys who are having uh, the uh, advantage. Why this is so? Is it to do something with the type of work they'll do ultimately that the, so the, the economy still remains brown-based rather than brain-based so that the, the school, male school graduates will be doing things which are physical uh, and where, whereas the female children will be doing something with private tutoring out of school or in RMG or uh, some sort of uh, saleswomen or things, something like that. It, it, brings, uh, it brings up the question of um, uh, have we been able to match between the employment opportunities and the uh, and the school graduates. I mean, we our uh, demographic transition has given us given us the demographic uh, dividend which we are reaping now. 
but we are reaping demographic dividend at a stage of uh, preparedness, a bit unprepared, because uh, Bangladesh has got its demographic dividend compared to other competitor, competitor countries at a much lower level of per capita income. And we don't know how to use this uh, uh, school graduates who are coming up. And uh, that remains one, one, one major problem. That's why uh, we don't have much open uh, unemployment in, in, in countries like ours. These are all hidden. But in terms of educated youth, the open employment is now 30%, which is alarming. Thank you. Let me uh, uh, let me turn to two other issues. Uh, the first one, uh, Imran, you brought up the whole issue of accountability in the education se sector. We could apply that to the health sector as well. In fact, to any sector. How does the country ensure that there is accountability and that there are standards that are uh, maintained? Uh, uh, this seems to be uh, certainly a uh, uh, one of the challenges of government. And yet, Dwayidin, you have mentioned the uh, poor governance, in fact, that exists. How do you, how do we uh, maintain accountability in the health sector, in the education sector, in all sectors, with governance being not as strong as one would wish? Imran, let me turn, turn to you uh, first. Million dollar question. Uh, <laughs> with uh, with so many different levels, um, I mean, I think I think look, I mean, I mean, I think Wazimawasir can talk more about the macro level um, uh, structural issues of sort of governance here. Uh, I think there are opportunities there, but but I think from a more micro level, I think there are there are actually uh, you know quite a bit of uh, 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 you know possibilities with respect to social accountability, taking a, a social accountability citizens engagement route, a more participatory approach to accountability from the local level. I think the kind of work that Brack and others were deeply involved in for many many years, which I think got a bit uh, you know kind of a bit sidelined with the kind of rush. Uh, with respect to a very verticalized program of uh, 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 Millennium Development Goal, I think era, I think uh, uh, some of those uh, you know kind of uh, drip drip work that needs to be done with respect to citizens engagement, participatory local governance, um, you know at the sort of local level, strengthening some of the deliberative democrat democracy forums that actually the government itself has actually created. Uh, uh, like open budget forum, uh, the, the, the union level forums, the school management committees. How do you get greater synergy? Because we do see that when, when uh, you know, third party actors such as NGOs work to ensure poor people's participation in some of these forums, they actually work much better. Uh, from BIGD, we did a whole uh, state of governance on, uh, on social accountability. We looked at these, these, these local social accountability forums across the country. Um, so I think, I think, I, I think, you know, there are a lot of uh, uh, potential and promise with respect to uh, doing much more with respect to these local level uh, accountability forums by creating a different kind of public private partnership uh, between between the government and 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 NGOs. I think I, th I think there are there are deep opportunities there. Thank you. Cairo, uh, uh, how about yourself? Richard, yeah, yeah, I, I think I mean, I'm in line with uh, Imran and would like to compliment. Uh, 
just take the example of community clinic around 13500 community clinics uh, all over the country and from the government side the community group which looks after the you know and take care of the i mean regular attendance of the community clinic uh, healthcare provider uh, on voluntary basis they maintain the cleanliness of the campus and then try to manage medicine and gardening fencing and so many things when a ngo facilitates those groups activity they are just wonderful some of the community clinics infrastructure attendance the pro poorness and the empathetic services i mean phenomenal work in number of places examples have been i mean created by ngo facilitation and even in some places without ngo facilitation where the community groups are selected in a nice way they themselves proactively actually manage some of the things same thing can be said about some of the school management committee at the grassroots level some of the school management committees are so active that they take care of cleanliness of their toilets so that the girls can really don't miss three days per month uh, during their menstruation and so and so so at the grassroots level and micro level some of these works are so prominent and examples are so bright but unfortunately they don't really come up to the level of the central level and where we somehow in between that this micro to macro we get lost somewhere and that chain has to be established i don't know how but the point is that when the central procurement takes place it gets lost and all the fingers related to you know the procurement uh, lapses and all this which came up in the health sector during covid time i mean these are the i mean examples how it can fail so there are good examples at a micro level where social accountability and social engagement processes are strong but at the central level i mean somehow we couldn't really bring it upwards but probably wahiduddin mawsar can really shed certain light on okay. on the macro level there's a challenge can do that richard richard can i can i just 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 sure. just one one just uh, what what kyle sure. was saying i mean i think you know one uh, critical link between the micro and 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 the macro meso is procurement and i think and i think getting citizens engagement in in procurement is actually really really important and there are actually some models i mean you know from bigd we are working with the, the central procurement technical unit cptu to develop a citizens engagement model in terms of uh, 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 procurement services but these are micro infrastructure project but i don't see any reason why some of the lessons of that cannot be taken at other levels of procurement i mean i'm not talking about a mega project procurement that's a whole different ball game but i'm really talking about more micro procurement i think there you know we should think about citizens engagement in procurement quality of procurement thank you thank you why the how about we're giving you some uh some okay yes here yes. yes all these are obviously part of overall governance problem uh governance problem where the politics is based on patronage politics and distributing parceling out privileges uh as a teacher at the university level when i look at my students i can see in their preparation where are the missing links in their preparation 
primary school, after all, are all are, are mostly are uh, public owned. There is some system of recruitment of quality of teachers and so on. There should be more community engagement and there should be more uh, uh, um, uh, accountability of teachers attending attending the classes. That's fine, but the real missing link is the secondary school. Secondary schools are mostly private owned, but at the same time, the governing body is controlled entirely politically. And uh, the you'll you'll find in those governing bodies. Uh, people who are not themselves graduates of secondary schools. So uh, you can imagine the type of uh, politics that goes on in recruiting teachers and so on. This is a this is in sharp contrast with the system of education we had in the pre-partition days. Many of us, including myself. We, we came from um, uh, uh, semi-urban, small town secondary schools. And the secondary schools in which were private owned, schools produced, in fact, the most of the time, best students who topped the nationwide uh, uh, exams. It happens no more. You won't find any uh, schools outside Dhaka where the graduates of secondary schools will do much good. This has again something to do with uh, the type of, uh, not only the type of governance, but also the type of centralization, centralized development we have, where everything is located in Dhaka, all officials are in Dhaka. That's why no uh, school teachers, no doctors will attend, the, will, with their family will live in outside Dhaka. They will go there themselves alone from time to time. That's why this absenteeism remains. So I, uh, I should end by saying one thing that uh, uh, maybe we, we should learn lessons from this COVID experience, which is that uh, we, we are saying that we have lost, year, one year is lost. Now, if you think of the real education, our students get the first primary education of five years, actually in eight years. That's one reason we are trying to, we are uh, proposing to extend our primary education up to eight years. So, uh, I mean, but losing one year is not a major thing, provided we can revamp our system and can really uh, rectify in terms of quality of education, particularly in terms of access of students from poor families to quality education. The slogan before in the MDG was, uh, was education for all. We propose that the slogan should be quality education for students of poor families. Thank you. I, I recall when I was in uh, when I was at the cholera laboratory, uh, they had a research station at Motlop, and the slogan outside of the school, which was very well known, was "Enter to learn, leave to serve," and so that mm -hmm. was 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 very very strong. Uh, do we have some questions? Otherwise, I have one other uh, last uh, question I'd like to 
raised, which maybe I'll, I'll do since I don't see. Uh, uh, in the beginning, Tarun uh, kind of uh, said that he was trying to push the notion of uh, improving science and so on. Uh, I think that one of the strengths of Bangladesh has been a very strong research ethic. Uh, I think that one of the reasons that ORS did so well in Bangladesh is because it was developed in Bangladesh. And there were many other things that came from the ICDDRB uh, and other research institutions. What do you see, and Imran, uh, let me start with you because you run a research institution, Wahyuddin, you've been doing it. What do you see as the role of research in, the de in human development itself within Bangladesh? Not necessarily to innovate, but also to, uh, to take innovations from elsewhere, be it microcredit, uh, be it uh, uh, Bcash, be it any of these things, and adapt them locally. Uh, uh, after all, that's really what Japan did uh, after the Second World War and so on. It's this culture of research and adaptation. Uh, do you see this as an important issue? Um, no, I think I think it sort of clearly is uh, is sort of really really important. I think I think the whole uh, you know the kind of uh, the market orientedness of uh, higher education is something that is of critical importance. I think by you know there's you know higher education. I think I think I think in Bangladesh has almost this kind of a uh, you know kind of a uh, uh, you know kind of a uh, of not not a fear but. But, but looking down on sort of sort of market orientedness, uh, 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 you know, as almost being anti-intellectual, and I think that's that's a culture that really needs to be changed because uh, market orientation is also about being relevant and it's also shaping the market as well. Um, and I think I think I think the industry uh, university linkages of particular importance in this in this in this particular uh, sort of regard. I mean, uh, with respect to you know the kind of institute that I run, which is a governance and development institute. I think for us, our industry in some ways is the development practice, which is both NGOs and the government. And I think unless we can really link up with that industry in terms of the research and the teaching and the educational work that we do, uh, it's just not going to be. Uh, you know, kind of, it's not going to cut cut any muster. So I think I think that is really really important. I think the the sort of the industry university linkage across all fields, um, with a real focus on uh, on on sort of really understanding the market, understanding the pulse of the market, uh, not in an not in an unanalytical way, not in a way to just serve the market, but also to think about the future market as well. So and and in terms of shaping it as well. So I think I think and and in that overall context, there's a lot. I think universities, higher education in Bangladesh need, needs to needs to basically work on and learn from. You know, primarily I think uh, 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 the sort of uh, Southeast Asian countries. I think I think I think you know, and uh, in 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 some of those countries, I think they have done much better in this particular regard. Kairol uh, or Wahidin, you want to comment at all on this? Uh, yes, having uh, having done damage to our educational system, as I said that our secondary school was the missing link. Once uh, you go that path to rectify it also, I, I mean, uh, to uh, 
rectify a uh, educational system from top to bottom takes time because the graduates of the of the universities will teach the primary school and so on and so on but there are shortcuts as you said that uh, uh, we we in bangladesh has uh, the, the people are entrepreneur they are given technology they can improvise even in an inf in the informal sectors so as, as you said some of the technologies were developed in bangladesh like oral saline or microcredit where bangladesh has done much more than better than other countries oral saline is something which is cheap it doesn't cost anything still adoption of oral saline in bangladesh is much higher than neighboring india let alone africa so but the problem is that to import technologies from abroad and then uh, uh, improvise it to suit the, um, the the local conditions require even more uh, expertise than uh, using in the technology just taking from the shelves which means that the education system is a key now we if we cannot rectify the system overnight we should look for uh, uh, innovative ways of uh, making shortcuts like uh, internet i mean the education which is available through internet uh, it doesn't have a border i mean we can use it a, a, a student in bangladesh can use some of the lectures in internet from harvard and anywhere in, sitting in bangladesh so that's an opportunity we should we should that is also true of our secondary school and primary school if we have the political will to do so that we sh we should be able to make shortcuts in uh, in in rectifying some of the mistakes we have already done thank you thank you Tyrell, do you want to comment on this or uh oh, no, thank give you. you a direct question uh one of the direct questions that came from Richard. the audience and i think you may have already uh, uh touched on this is uh the whole notion of what can government uh, uh do to uh ensure uh, uh a standard of care a standard of of health delivery that is consistent throughout uh the country or or do you see this as just something that is be just not possible because as you point out some of the private uh, hospitals simply say well we're just not going to take you uh, no beds that is that there is no sense of accountability to the community to the society i'll leave it to you do you want to address that or uh can, may i take this up i mean yeah please yeah uh i think i mean when we talk about regulation and especially quality control in the health sector, uh, there are so many subsector within the health sector. I mean, in education and then in graduate education, postgraduate education, undergraduate education, nursing services, skill birth attendant, and so on. And they are diverse across so many directorates. It's a whole Pandora box. I'm just talking about human resource development in health. When you come to the treatment or quality of care, I mean, from the prescription audit to treatment quality and uh, the pricing and number of issues, pathology, 
the the ethical practice pharmaceutical uh, uh, companies you know promotional uh, ethical promotion and so which body will actually be controlling some of this and this covid actually surfaced so many lacunas in the health sector that we believe that just on an ad hoc basis if we make a few decisions and try to make a, a certain ad hoc type of fixation here and there that's not going to resolve the systemic issues of the health sector what we have witnessed the the unregulated private sector the unregulated informal private sector and so many things are coming came out during this time we feel that we really need time to debate and discuss and then agree on certain modification and improvement in the health sector like forming a commission which immediately after independence our father of the nation formed for education under the chairpersonship of professor borkuti i mean kudruti uh, khuda in the same way probably it is high time that with someone well respected in the health sector we form a commission and for such a number of months or years we keep on discussing this with number of stakeholders and then we make all this modification because the out of pocket expenditure which is now almost uh, three quarter of of the total health sector expenditure i mean it cannot be curtailed overnight or over one or two years kind of time it has to be dealt very very systematically if we talk about universal health care if we talk about introducing certain insurance mechanisms so that irrespective of you know income or location or anything i mean people can get the best quality services the kind of arrangement we will have to make the kind of institutional modification or improvement we will have to make it's, it's it cannot be done in a, in an ad hoc way so i would lastly recommend that given the 8 5 year plan which has came to its uh, effect very recently and given the allocation of resources in the current budget and upcoming budget that we will be getting for covid that's a huge amount of money and it is taxpayers money or it is borrowed money but the people will pay for it pay back so in order to maintain accountability probably that kind of commission is extremely extremely needed and urgent call that's how i would like to conclude my uh, deliberation thank you thank you let me let me take one uh, other question from the uh, uh, chat uh, and i'll leave it to anybody to answer this providing education and training online could cut down the disparity between quality of education in major cities and towns and villages as you brought up Wahidin, uh, uh, online education and training could generate greater collaboration between policymakers and educators in Bangladesh with Bangladeshi diaspora across the world. After all, the Khan Academy is uh, uh, was developed by a, a Bangladeshi. Uh, 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 how much resources are given to developing online education, uh, and how much should be given? Uh, uh, what is the scope for this to try to uh, bring together the disparities that exist between rural and urban, or between rich and poor? Does anybody want to take that on? The role of online yes. education. Uh, may, may, may I? Yes, please. Uh, there are there are 
some initiatives like uh, Khan Academy, uh, offshoots of Khan Academy, uh, which are trying to uh, introduce uh, courses which should be available to students in Bangladesh, uh, adapted in, uh, for Bangladeshi students, even in Bengali. So these initiatives are funded well by expatriate Bangladeshis. I mean, fund is not that much of a problem, but having uh, internet facilities uh, in rural areas uh, in a way where these things could be, I mean, uh, could be uh, practicably uh, practiced uh, is a, remains a problem. Uh, but the, the, the COVID thing in terms of disruptions by COVID will be gone soon. I mean, Bangladesh university schools and colleges will be open soon. Uh, so uh, we'll be back to normal, but, but even if we are back to the normal, uh, we should, I mean, we should be trying to use uh, internet technologies to, uh, as I said, to have a shortcut, uh, to do uh, repair the damages we have already done to our education system at different levels. Thank you. Yeah, Imran, you mentioned uh, uh, that this disparity between men and women and between, uh, what does your, your research show in terms of connectivity and, and uh, computer literacy uh, 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 in various parts of the country? Yeah, no. I mean, it is it is uh, the, the 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 inequality is 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 sort of quite huge, um, uh, and there's a lot that needs to be done in sort of addressing it. But I just want to raise a few, you know, uh, you know, ways in which I think uh, uh, we can accelerate this. So, so one is, of course, it's we should think beyond devices, right? So it's, the access is much more than devices. It's sort of much more about how you know we we need to think about. Uh, you know, facilitated uh, approach to uh, uh, sort of device usage. We need to think about online and offline solutions, uh, you know, high-tech and low-tech. Uh, we need to think about hybrid technologies. So how do we use community radio along with uh, digital technology to really create much greater access, for instance, right? I mean, um, uh, during the COVID period, uh, uh, BRAC has been experimenting with uh, community radio approaches through uh, cell phone-based, just feature phones. So I think we really, you know, I think the, the smartphone access will increase, but I think the divide will be, will be there. Uh, so we need to really think about, uh, you know, what we can do with what we have currently. Uh, and, and I think, uh, and to do, to do that, I think we need to really understand how people are using digital technologies itself. Uh, you know, people are using, uh, uh, you, you know, kind of memory uh, cards uh, and swapping memory cards to disseminate uh, and share information. Uh, entertainment is basically for entertainment. How do we use, uh, how do we learn from some of these uh, innovations that people themselves are doing uh, where access to some of these uh, uh, devices are, are unequal and limited and constrained. But within that, we need to learn how people are doing it themselves. And then, you know, use that to do some backward induction in terms of what type of innovations we should be doing to support it. And I think, uh, you know, just like the way microfinance in some ways, you know, kind of challenged existing, uh, you know, norms of how banking actually happens and turned it on its head. I think we need a, a micro digitalization strategy 
uh, you know, drawing inspiration from innovations of microfinance, social innovation of microfinance. And I think to do that, we need to learn from people and see how people themselves are using these technologies. I think that's a, that's a very good point. And I suppose one could apply the same thing to certain health messages and health ideas and so on. So we're nearing the end of our uh, allotted time. Do any of you have any last minute reflections that you'd like to uh, uh, make within the next uh, minute or two? And I'll turn, turn to you, Wahideen, as you started this off. Okay, yeah, thank you. Thank you, Richard. It has been an enjoyable session. Uh, I, I shall conclude by saying that I started by saying that Bangladesh has done very well in uh, economic growth and uh, in social sector growth. We have even done better, but all this is related to Bangladesh's overall socioeconomic progress. Now, the, the, the way we have progressed so far in economically is beyond uh, we have done well in adopting the yielding varieties in uh, agriculture becoming self-sufficient in food but outside agriculture the driving forces are low technology small enterprises uh, rmgs dependent on low wage female labor and uh, export of um, uh, semi skilled and unskilled labor now, replication of that replication mode will not take us to the next level of uh, um, economic growth and socioeconomic progress. So, uh, as, you, as you mentioned earlier, that uh, skill and education uh, will, will remain very important in terms of deepening our our um, uh, agriculture, the industrial progress in terms of skills and technologies, all, all of our progress will be related to how much we can shift from the replication of the existing things to a more innovative deepening things. Thank you. Thank you. Imran? Sorry, uh, I, I don't uh, I mean, just just one one point is, you know, with respect to I think understanding ourselves. I think, I think um, uh, uh, we need to we need to in many ways uh, develop uh, uh, you know our own uh, 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 frameworks to really understand you know the mechanisms through which we are we are where we are and how do we basically move forward. And this is, I think. A very big intellectual challenge, uh, you know. I mean, I sort of keep on, you know, kind of this this whole the Bangladesh surprise that why the moments are talked about. I think this is really it looks uh, looks like a surprise if you use, you know, if, if if the gaze is with borrowed frameworks. And I think one of the biggest intellectual challenges that we are yet to uh, 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 sort of sort of really understand uh, in our own ways our own narrative using our own 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 framework and I think and I think this is really I think the big intellectual challenge and I think unless you know we basically take greater control of the knowledge agenda uh, 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 you know and sort of you know drive it forward uh, uh, I think I think I think it will be it will be it will be difficult to to sort of really think about uh, uh, you know how do we sort of move Move forward, and I think I think uh, this is really, you know, uh, uh, sort of the deep intellectual challenge because uh, some of the ways we think about governance and linkage between governance and development, democratic institutions, those pathways are not the way in which uh, Bangladesh is progressing. Uh, and and I think we just we just need to, you know, kind of 
you know, have a much deeper intellectual engagement with these dynamics and with these realities, a more, or a more deeper and more honest and open intellectual uh, excursion, I think. Thank you. Thank you. Cairo. Yeah, uh, I think this is the year when we'll be celebrating a lot and we'll be recalling our achievement uh, quite a lot. But side by side, we'll have to remember that in five years' time, we'll be graduating ourselves from the LDC status. And uh, in context of COVID, what we have identified, we'll have to address those. Now, in order to address those, the kind of discussion debate we need to I mean, undertake, and Imran has just said that the democratic space, institution, and mechanism will have to be there. So on the verge of you know, another 50 years or for the I mean, uh, upcoming years, what we need to commit is that along with the celebration, in the name of way forward, we need to invite those discussion in a much more uh, informed way and in a much more intellectually, actually, with evidence and, uh, you know, uh, how should I say it, you know, the scientific discussion. We, we need to create that environment. Otherwise, the challenges that we are facing now uh, will be unsurmountable. The, the achievement what we have done, I mean, it's not, I mean, I won't say those were low-hanging fruits, but those were the fruits which were delivered by our frontline health workers. Now this is the time the so-called, you know, the, the blue-collar and white-collar people needs to really uh, come forward with their intellectual ability and really lay down the pathway in which the health sector would shape itself for the next 50 years. So for that, a serious research-based and intellectual discussion will be needed. And I look forward that country's democratic institution and tolerance level and democratic practices will tolerate that, rather will support that. With that optimism, I would like to conclude. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank to all three of you. I think you've uh, summarized it beautifully that, that uh, uh, we should celebrate what has happened. But uh, what is this expression? Uh, uh, experiences are, is the best teacher, but a fool learns from no other. So this uh, challenge to, to uh, move ahead and to uh, celebrate what has happened, but to learn those lessons and to think about it in, in a in going forward uh, position. And I can't thank all three of you enough for your uh, excellent contributions. Uh, I, I would simply uh, close uh, today's session by saying that uh, it has been a wonderfully uh, a productive day. We've, uh, we've learned the history. We have uh, looked at the economic uh, development. We have looked at uh, human resource development. And uh, there is much to celebrate, but the challenges uh, uh, may be even uh, uh, more difficult uh, going forward. Uh, it's, uh, uh, it's great to, uh, to know what we have achieved but the challenges going forward are going to be real and it's going to require an open dialogue, a discussion, an openness and a transparency that must be uh, maintained. Uh, on that note, uh, uh, since I really uh, want to uh, end on time, uh, let me uh, remind everyone that uh, this uh, 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 session on Bangladesh at 50 continues tomorrow 
at the same time as it did today. And I am sure we're going to have uh, some excellent uh, panels and discussions, which I'm looking forward to. And I hope you all can join us at that time, wherever you are. Uh, I know that we're probably uh, covering just about every time zone in the world right now. But thank you all. And uh, special thanks to the Mittal Foundation, Chelsea and Tarun and, and everyone who's been uh, 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 contributing to today's session. So on that note, uh, I think uh, we have reached uh, one minute before the hour. So I will, again, thank you, uh, uh, Wahidin, Imran, Kairul, for a really, really uh, wonderful session. Thank you all. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, thank you, thank you Richard. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, let go.